So the big thing we're trying to figure out today is how white people got all the money. You know, how did, how did white people get all the money and how did black people um, end up not having the money? So this is like an economic forensics. Um, so the first thing Dr. Anderson says here on page 120 of Poweronomics is that wealth can be created or acquired through redistribution. Uh, so one of the things that, that the U.S. government, I believe, needs to really consider if they really want to um, get my support anyway or people like me is they have to really redistribute the wealth. Um, if you go downtown, I want you to walk downtown one day and I want you to look at all those buildings in, in the downtown of your city, whatever your city is. What you're going to see is you're going to see a lot of buildings that are worth well over $100 million, these gigantic skyscrapers, some of them worth billions of dollars. None of those buildings are owned by black people. None of that property, most of that property is not owned by black people. So, so you know, I, I was just thinking about that. I was in Chicago and I said, wow, if they just picked two or three of these billion dollar buildings and just gave them to black people, that will be huge. Like that will be massive. Um, you know, and this, this just gives you an idea of just how much further along they are when it comes to wealth and why reparations, I think, should be an important um, political topic to consider for black people. So uh, one thing that Dr. Anderson says here on page 120 of Poweronomics is, of the available options, increased business ownership and reparations are the best means for blacks to gain wealth. So he says that the two big best options are reparations or high, or more ownership in businesses. Um, okay, and, and if you think about it too, right, um, look at most universities, right? Most, uh, if you add up all the endowments of every HBCU in America, you still, I think Harvard has an endowment that is like 43 times greater than the endowment of every HBCU in this country combined. That one, that one university has, I think, 40 or 50 times more wealth than the endowments of all the HBCUs in America combined. And, and so, so, so one of the things that, that you have to consider is um, these massive donations that build up an endowment for, say, a university they don't usually come from people who have jobs. They don't come from employees, unless the person is the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Nine times out of 10, they come from donations of people who have some type of wealth, who own something. And the three three things that they'll usually own is either a business, uh, stock, uh, stock market investments, or real estate. So if it is somebody that works for a company, like a CEO, you know, and they make a, a $50 million donation to Harvard, well, that donation probably came, maybe came from the fact that they got in on the ground floor of this company, took stock options, ownership in the company, and the options, you know, went up a thousand percent and they had the, the money to give away. So wealth is an accumulation process. It's, 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 it's a little amount of money kind of accumulated over a period of time. So the question that you have to always ask yourself is, do I have an accumulation process? Am I accumulating something? Like, so if you think about your income, like water being poured in a cup, if every time you fill up the cup, you empty it out because you got to pay your bills, then you're going to always have an empty cup. And, you know, you'll fill it up, empty it out, fill it up, empty it out, fill it up, empty it out. Like, so a better approach would be if you could fill up the cup and if you had a little extra that you could put into a little extra bucket that, you know, so every time you fill up the cup, then you have a little extra, you pour it in the bucket, fill up the cup, have a little extra, pour it in the bucket, cup, bucket, cup, bucket, cup, bucket. The whole time you're drinking what's in the cup, you're getting rid of what's in the cup, but the bucket is accumulating on the side because you're not doing anything with it. You're not touching those resources. That's wealth. That's what wealth is. That water in that bucket, that little extra that you've been pouring into that bucket, that is your wealth. 
So, so ultra, so, so when you're thinking about things like the five dollar day investing plan and stuff like that, that you can find on, on my website, just go to boyswalkins.com. It's right there. That's what that's designed to do. I've told you, your kids can have a ton of money in the bank when they're 25 or 30 years old. All I need you to do is invest $35 a week for them in an S&P 500 index fund and never, ever, ever sell the assets. Never, ever empty out their bucket. You're putting a little bit of money in their bucket every week and you're not emptying the bucket out. And, the, and, the, and this is a magic bucket because the amount that you put in doubles and triples relative to what you, you actually put in there. So over a 30-year period, I think with a $5 day investing plan, I'm trying to remember what the amount is that you end up putting in. I think I want to say... It's about ten thousand dollars a decade, maybe. Um, let me see. Let me let me do the math real quick. Thirty-five. So you're putting in about, let's say, let's say uh, sixteen hundred dollars a year. So you're putting in about sixteen thousand dollars a decade. So after about three decades, you put in about fifty-four thousand dollars, but that fifty-four thousand has grown to a quarter of a million. So you've been put you put fifty-four thousand in the bucket, but you got a quarter million dollars that you can actually pull out of the bucket. So money is magical. Finance is magical. Compound interest is magical. So when you are not participating in, in, in the uh, bucket accumulation process in any form of investing whatsoever, you're missing on the on the economic magic that makes America the economic power that it is. So uh, he says, of the available options, increased business ownership and reparations are the best means for blacks to gain wealth. Businesses can redistribute wealth six to eight times faster than employment. Black Americans are just beginning to seriously seek reparations as a means to, means to gain wealth. Even though nearly 97% of the majority society opposes the transfer of any form of wealth to black people, eventually the majority society will be forced by the power of the facts to award reparations to black Americans. However, until white society decides to grant reparations, blacks must choose from the remaining options and begin creating their own wealth. It will require their best effort, uh, but it can be done. Much of the wealth that we need is right before our eyes. If we aggregate, we, we can see it. We, if we work together, we can acquire it or create it. We are simply blind to our own wealth potential. The words of a white child talking to his black friend sums up the essence of the hidden wealth potential of the race. The child said, quote, I wish I could buy you for what you think you are worth and sell you for what I think you're worth. I could make a fortune. So I, let, let me repeat that again. So the white kid says to the black kid, this is Poweronomics. Um, you can get a copy of Poweronomics.com. I want to tell it to everybody who just came in. The white kid says to the black kid, I wish I could buy you for what you think you're worth and sell you for what I think you're worth. Do y'all follow that? Give me a yes if you get what I'm saying. He said, I would make a fortune. Well, that's the principle in business. That That's literally the number one wealth driver in all of business. And that's buy low, sell high. So I buy you as an employee because you think that you're worth 50000 a year. And then I sell you to the open marketplace because I know that you're worth 300000 a year. Well, who's going to get the other two fifty? It's going to be me because I, I got the connect. I, I, I didn't go fill out the job application. I went straight to the marketplace and developed, uh, developed the brands and the systems that allow me to distribute your labor to the open marketplace. This is, in economics, the term they use for this is called arbitrage. Arbitrage is just buy low, sell high. Everybody understands it. Little kids understand it. My daughter understood it. My daughter and her friends got together and started a business where they would make Auntie Annie's pretzels and lemonade, and they and it would cost them, the cost 
to make a pretzel and lemonade was about 80 cents. They could sell the pretzel and the lemonade for $3. Even they, as nine-year-olds, understood that this was going to make them a profit. They knew they could spend 50 bucks and make 200 <laughs> Buy low, sell high. So that, that's, what's, that's what's happening. This is um, also, Dr. Anderson uses another term to reference this called the doctrine of unequal exchange. That's where you're getting less than what the other party is getting. And next thing you know, they have all the money and you don't. That's, why, that's how white people got all the money. Throughout history, nearly everyone except black people has seen wealth in the race. Black people have responded by enriching every group other than themselves. It is now time for black people to create wealth for themselves. The secret to creating wealth is to own and control resources, whether they are natural, land, water, precious minerals and metals, processed, machinery, factories, consumer items, public improvements, or human capital, skilled, literate labor, uh, labor force, skilled, literate labor force. Um, I think one area of opportunity is uh, for us to really go back and re-embrace the trades. Um, I think that the, I, in fact, we're, we're in the middle, in the Black Business School, we're in the middle of negotiations with a brother that has a, nas- a national program where he teaches, um, I think it's plumbing. And, uh, and, and we want to dig into the trades because so much money gets made from the trades. And imagine if there's a national database of black plumbers and carpenters and whatever you need to do work around your house. Well, that right there is a massive wealth gain for the black community. Um, another area where we have tremendous wealth and value is through entertainment. So um, I've been speaking with a guy named John Boyd a lot, and uh, we've been working on something that we want to call, that we're calling the, kind of the, the B1 Music Group. And John, his, he's the father of Victory Boyd. And uh, Victory Boyd is an amazing singer. Uh, she, I talk about Victory all the time. She sang for Jay-Z and Jay-Z signed her on the spot. That's how talented she is. She's, she's known all around the world. And so John and I have been talking about the creation of a B1 music group, uh, a film division, uh, et cetera, where literally we can work with all the talent that's in our community and keep it 100% black. So, uh, but we're not the only ones. There's so many other people doing all kinds of stuff. And I think being conscious about finding those things is a great uh, pathway to building wealth in the community. So he says there is no wealth and potential uh, wealth potential in public housing, food stamps, petty crime, drug use or teen pregnancy. There is no wealth potential in a job. It is the owner and producer of the job who has the wealth potential. We need activities and mechanisms that produce wealth for black people and their communities. When a group or community begins to acquire resources and manages them for the economic benefit of the group, they have created an economy, a mechanism to produce income, wealth, jobs, and business opportunities. It is important that we understand this concept of an economy. In the book, um, if you guys want to pick up a copy, you're welcome to. Um, the, I told you my latest book, The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power. One section of the book, I actually give you the three C's required to build an economy, the three markets that you need to build an economy. You need a, a market for um, for uh, capital, con- a market for contractors, and a market for customers. If you have those three markets, you can build an economy even with five or 10 people. So you don't need lots of people to have an economy, but you have to understand the concept of an economy so you can understand what, what it looks like so you know how to create it and you know what it is when you actually have one. So John Kenneth Galbraith, in his book, Almost almost Everyone's Guide to Economics, he stressed the importance of an economy to any population group. Galbraith points out that those people who do not understand or pretend that they do not know how an economy is built and operates um, automatically surrender all wealth-building power to those who do understand. So when your kids grow up and don't understand economics, they're surrendering all their wealth 
to other people. Like if I don't know the value of a diamond and I've got diamonds all in my backyard, then somebody's going to come along and say, hey, I can clean those diamonds up for you. I'll say, good, get rid of them. I don't I don't need those stupid things. Right. So you got you're giving away all the diamonds in your backyard. Groups with their own economies make wealth producing decisions in their own best interest. The world is a competitive place and there are few, if any, incentives for other groups to intentionally make decisions that are in the best interest of black Americans. Ain't nobody going to take care of you. Stop expecting people to love you. Take off that Black Lives Matter shirt and put on a put on a shirt that says, I know my life matters. <laughs> I have no disrespect you know, to the Black Lives Matter movement, but who are you talking to? Who are you trying to convince when you say Black Lives Matter? You, you're not convincing me. I mean, how many of y'all already know that Black Lives Matter? Give me a yes in the chat if we can all agree. I, the Council of Intelligent Black People, we'll call a meeting and we're going to have a vote. How many of you agree that Black Lives Matter? Give me a yes in the chat if you if you agree with 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 the uh, the, the the proposition that all Black lives do matter. Give me a yes. Okay, thank you for your yeses. All right. So now, with the power invested in me by intelligent Black people around the world, I now proclaim Black Lives Matter. All right. So now that's out of the way. <laughs> Let's get to work. Let's really do the stuff that matters. I'm not interested in spending my life trying to convince white people that my life matters because I don't care much about what white people think. If you're white and I hurt your feelings, I'm very sorry, but I just don't care. All right, so let's keep going. John Kenneth Galbraith in his book, Almost Everyone's Guide to Economics. Okay, we talked about that. Upon upon what, wait, sorry, groups with their own economies make wealth-producing decisions in their own best interest. So upon what philosophical base should Black Americans build an economy within their own community? Blacks should use the same philosophical base that the majority of society and its ethnic subgroups use, a culture of competition that operates in its own best interest. Those in America's melting pot build their respective economies around their needs, their cultures, their togetherness, and their nationalistic goals. Now, Black Americans must build a viable economy to accomplish Black America's goal of producing wealth as a means to be competitive and self-sufficient. Let's look at a story that demonstrates how an economy and wealth are created. Brian Westbury, in his book, The New Era of Wealth, tells about an imaginary island where 10 villagers earn their living by fishing. Each of the villagers caught two fish each day. The daily gross domestic product of this island was 20 fish, just enough to supply sufficient food uh, for their meals. Clearly, the villagers could not progress because they only produced enough to survive. In this respect, they were similar to most Black Americans who have worked jobs or lived off of subsidies and various forms of assistance. So uh, he's comparing the fishers, the, the people fishing, to Black people. That, that literally, they just get enough fish to live off of, and that's all that they have. Westbury explained how the two fishermen in his story fostered an economy by changing their perspective and started to see, think, and behave outside the box. They risked starvation by taking time out from fishing to build a boat and make fishing nets. With their boat and newly designed nets, these two fishermen could then net, then catch 20 fish in a day between them. Now two people could produce what used to feed, what, what it used to take to, uh, 10 people to do. They now had a fishing industry and could feed everybody on the island. The other eight villagers then had a choice. They could continue to catch two fish a day to live on and enjoy life, or they could diversify. A few could build businesses that related to the fishing industry, perhaps opening a boat or net repair shop. Others could raise and sell fruits and vegetables to start a bakery. Still others could begin to make sandals and clothing to sell or trade with the two villagers who built and owned the boats and the nets. This is how an economy is born and industries follow. Members of the community take calculated risks and begin to build businesses and provide goods and services to members of their group. 
Later in this chapter, in the subsequent chapters, we will suggest ways that Black Americans can be like these island villagers and build an alternative economy. What does that mean, basically? Well, it means this. Let's go back to the Negro Leagues. In the Negro Leagues, you had the baseball players that performed the service on the field. But the fact that you owned and controlled the Negro Leagues meant that you had an entire economy built around the Negro Leagues. When there was a baseball game, there were uh, thousands of fans that showed up, thousands of potential customers that showed up. So those customers didn't just want to watch baseball. They also wanted to eat popcorn. And so you have the popcorn vendors selling the popcorn. They needed, maybe they wanted a soda. Maybe they wanted some apparel. So there were t-shirts, people made t-shirts with their favorite baseball team on it. Maybe, um, you know, there were people who um, stayed in the local hotels that wanted to eat in the restaurant. So you'd build restaurants right next to the baseball stadium. Maybe people wanted ill, maybe they wanted a good time. So even, even the prostitutes had an economy, right? I'm not judging here, right? So my point is to say that what happens is that when you stimulate economic activity that you own and control, there's a whole world of, of, of economics that occurs outside of the main event. So when you watch an NFL or NBA player go to uh, the league and they are sitting there next to their mama wearing a big tacky suit and they just signed with the Denver Nuggets and they're going to make $200 million. That's not a $200 million transaction. That's a half billion dollar transaction because there are a bunch of people that are going to get wealthy because that trade is taking place. Not just the hangers on, you know, you, you got all the all these places where there should be black people, but there are none. Right now you got Jewish people and other people jumping into the fray on this. Right. The lawyers making money, the accountants making money, the managers making money, the agents making money. All these people are making money from the athlete. But then when the athletes show up to the game and this is an entity where all the players in the game are black, damn near 90 percent of them. But we don't own and control any of that. So what then happens is that the whole economy that is built around the game. Has anybody ever been to a basketball game and counted? Tried to you, you can't count how many businesses show up at that game. Go to like a Chicago Bulls game or a Denver Nuggets game or a New York Knicks game. And I want you to look around. And I want you to look at how many businesses there are around that game. How many people make a living because the Knicks are in town this week? It's massive. So when you think about what we lost with by giving up the Negro Leagues, think about this. You traded in the whole entire economy just so one Negro, Jackie Robinson, could go get a damn job. And they got you celebrating that nonsense. They made a whole movie called 42 to get you to say, oh, that was such progress. Oh, my God, black people made so much progress. Well, if you made so much progress, then why is your economics going backward? Well, because you don't build wealth by trading entire economies for a damn job. You don't trade an entire planet for a house. <laughs> you, you traded a whole planet for a nice house, and then you don't understand why your wealth went down. When Jackie Robinson and all those stars left the Negro Leagues to go play next to white folks, the economy was over there now. And that economy was controlled by white people. You know, when they're playing for the Yankees, you, you, you're not making money when the Yankees come to town. You might get a little piece of that, a tiny little piece, but it, it, that's not a black-owned, no, no, it, that's, that's a white event that black people are invited to. So I would have preferred, instead of us sending our best players over to play in the major leagues, I, I would have turned around and said, well, no, actually, 
if you have a couple of white guys who are good enough to play in the Negro leagues, we'll, we'll let them try out. And then if you want them to come bring their friends and their family to give us money, then sure, absolutely. So because we're, we're going to play this economic game, but we're going to play the game in my house with my rules and my cards and my team and my everything that 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 rigs the game in my favor instead of me going and playing on your court and you rigging the game in your favor. Let me keep going. So Dr. Anderson says, without effective and healthy economies, it is impossible for black people anywhere in the world to compete in producing wealth. The world's total wealth is estimated at 390 trillion. Now that's, this is old, so it's probably much higher than that. However, black people who make up nearly one fifth of the world's population own less than 1% of the wealth. In the United States, the wealth has been maldistributed along a ranking order of skin color and social acceptance. The wealth disparity between blacks and whites is so great that two whites together, Bill Gates and Lawrence Ellison, have a net worth that is greater than the collective net worth of this nation's 36 million black people. Again, this is 20 years ago. With black American households having an estimated 7.2 billion invested in Wall Street stocks and bonds, Gates and Ellison own nearly 13 times more stock and bonds than all of the 36 million black Americans. The wealth disparities between the races are even greater outside the United States. South Africa has 29 million black people who make up, sorry, which makes up 99% of the country. Yet the De Beers Corporation, a white-owned company, owns and controls 50% of the nation of, of this black nation's total wealth. The remaining 50% of wealth belongs to nearly 2.5 million whites. The 29 million black South Africans are left with practically zero wealth in one of the most richly endowed countries on earth. The maldistributed wealth fixed black people at the bottom of the world's wealth barrel. Wealth is the great determiner of opportunity. Without wealth, equal opportunity becomes a dream. This is Dr. Anderson's mic. I'm going to drop it because this is where we're going to stop studying for today because I want us to meditate on what I just read to you. He just told you about South Africa. 29 million black South Africans, 99% of the population. The De Beers company owns 50% of the wealth in that country. One family, the De Beers family, owns 50% of the wealth in that country. The other 50% is owned by a bunch of other rich white people. Not named De Beers, but they're kind of all the same. So what I really think we got to kind of do is really think about that a little bit. Really process what that means. Really think about the task that lies before us. So what I'm going to do is give you a very simple way to approach this. I know that this is a lot to process, and we're going to work through this. We're reading this book every single week, so you can join us. Um, and I'll and, and text the word "boys" to 31996. Text "boys" to 31996. I will text you next week when we do Poweronomics class. This is the class I wanted to do for free. We have other classes where you can support the Black Business School, and we appreciate all of your support. But this is one that I said I, I need to do this for free because I need the whole community. Anybody that wants to hear it, I, I, I want us to be trained on this. Um, we need to really sort of think in terms of building our economic army. And that army requires everybody to participate. Uh, there are no spectators in this army. I'm not here to teach any students. I do not teach any students. I want to teach teachers. So every one of you that is a student right now, you could be a student right now, but being a student is temporary. 
eventually I need you to be a teacher and I need you to teach some of these basic ideas to other people in your family and other people around you on your social media or whatever the case may be. We got to be gang affiliated. We got to be gangster with this. You can't, ain't nowhere, ain't nowhere on earth I'm ever going to go when people not know what I'm all about. I'm all about black wealth. I'm all about poweronomics. I'm all about black people building wealth and assets. I've been on this for 14 years and I've been talking to you guys about this every single day for the last, at least the last decade. I don't think I've missed the day of talking to you about this because I am absolutely, completely, totally obsessed with this. This is what we're about to do right now. I believe we can be the best in the world at it, but it's going to take our complete total focus basic idea that I want you to carry away and I want you to share this with people that you love. In order for us to win this economic game, ownership and control must be paramount. Not in a greedy way. Not to the point where you got to own everything that you're a part of. I'm talking about ownership and control, meaning asking yourself, what do I own? Can I own something? Can I? You, you, you start by owning some shares of stock. Get on, get on your app. Buy you some stock. Then you start by, when you level up, you can level up to eventually own real estate. If you can't buy real estate now, that's fine. Start studying. Just learn everything. It don't cost you nothing to watch YouTube videos on how to buy a house so that when your money's right, when you're in the right situation, you can make that move. Information and knowledge should not be the barrier for you to make the move that you got to make. If, if, if the, the only barrier I will accept is that maybe right now your money ain't where you want it to be, I get it. But knowledge and information should not be the barrier because a lot of knowledge and information is out there. It is everywhere. It is right on your phone, on your cell phone. I'm available to you. I have a PhD in finance. Everything I know is available to you right there on your phone. Third, all our kids need to learn how to start businesses. This is essential for their survival. They have to know how to create businesses, even if they're even if they work for somebody else. That means they know how to create the side hustle so they can have extra income to elevate their income to a high enough level that they can eventually save and invest and start to build wealth. You cannot build wealth with a job. Jobs do not get you make you wealthy. However, a side hustle can. The job sustains you. The side hustle is what you put in that bucket so you can build that bucket of wealth. Okay. So all of our kids need to learn how to start businesses. All of our kids need to understand the importance of ownership and control. All of us need to be obsessed with the acquisition of either real estate or stocks or whatever the case may be. That will change the game. That will change the game. And then you, you, you sort of surface that with things like black unity, black love, all of us sort of getting our mind right. You know, maybe some therapy might be necessary for some of us because we are a traumatized community. If you have a highly skilled community that possesses uh, an adequate amount of resources where they know how to work together, that community cannot be stopped. A community like that does not have to walk around in fear of whatever Jewish people have told them to do that week. You don't have to walk around in fear of what a white man said about you that day. A community that has resources, skill, and unity is virtually unstoppable. That's my dream. That's what I believe that we can be. And I think that we're headed in that right direction. So keep it going. Don't give up. All right. Last thing I'm going to share with you again, if you want to get on the text list, just text the word voice to 31996. Text voice to 31996. Also, two things uh, just to remind you, tomorrow night we're doing stock options training. So the stock options training camp, this is the second week, but everything's recorded. So you can watch from last week too. Uh, just go to boyswalkers.com and you'll see that. That's Thursday night at 8 p.m. That's when we're going to do stock options. We usually do something for you almost every single night of the week, at least four, four or five uh, out of seven nights a week. We do something in the Black Business School that can allow you to learn you know, from us. Uh, and then uh, also this weekend, Michelle Walker Davis is a visiting faculty member who is going to do an awesome uh, training on 
how to uh, get government contracts and how to get government grants. A lot of you can benefit from that because there's a ton of money out there for government. One government contract can literally change your whole life. Uh, there's a lot of bureaucracy and paperwork connected to it. She can get you through all of that because she's been able to process thousands of grant applications. So a lot of you have 501c3s and, and stuff like that. Or maybe you don't have that. Maybe you just want to figure out where the contract money is. Maybe you have a business. She's the person that can help you with that. So if you go to boyswalkins.com, uh, the link is right there at the top. I put it up there. And uh, I think if you use the code word Dr. Boyce, all one word, you can actually get a discount. So uh, that's a discount code that you guys can use, Dr. Boyce, all one word. All right, guys, I'm out of here. Have a good night. My wife made dinner, so I'm going to go and sit with my beautiful black wife and have some food. And uh, I will see you all really, really soon. Uh, have a good night. And thank you, Chanel. I see Chanel in the chat for helping me out. Um, I got to thank my team because without my team, you know, I, I'm, I'm a nobody without my team. And I'm, I'm definitely a nobody without you. So I love you. God bless you. And have a good night, everybody. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.